Welcome to the Bolt Zone. This is a competitive magic podcast for the average spike, co-hosted by me, Cody DeBose, and the former PT champion and Magic World champion, Nathan Stoyer. We're bringing you the best tips, tricks, and strategies to improve your game and be a better player. Nathan, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Cody, and I'm glad that we get to kickstart this episode talking about one of your favorite decks and some of your recent success. And uh, tell us about how your RCQ went this past weekend. Yeah, so it was a good weekend for me uh, after several top eights this season in in the rcq circuit i was able to finally take one down uh we talked about it a little bit last episode and i was sort of you know bouncing back and forth between playing the new beans cascade deck or just kind of sticking with with scam like i had been for most of the season and i decided after play testing with the beans deck a lot in the week ahead just to, to stick with scam i felt more comfortable with it and thought that i could tweak it enough to have a good matchup into the beans decks i expected to see quite a few of them and i, I ended up going undefeated on the day and getting the invite to rc denver so i'm really looking forward to competing out there and having two uh, regional bullets lined up to try and get a shot at the pt uh, but yeah so basically the deck I played was like stock scam uh, in the main, at least. And then over in the side, one of the things we talked about in the last episode was the Roiling Vortex tech. And that came in huge in the top eight. Again, kind of bringing that in for Beans to punish their evokes and turn off life gain from Omnath. Um, that one specifically came up in top eight where I was presenting lethal. They ripped an Omnath off the top, had a fetch in hand, and I was able to turn off the life gain and then terminate the Omnath. So that uh, that card came up, it came up big for the weekend. I think there were like six or seven out of the thirty decks that were uh, either four color, like regular four color, or the Beans deck. So the Roiling Vortex deck was really nice there, and then I also uh, kept a Pithing Needle on the sideboard. I expected there would be at least a few Yawgmoth players at the shop that I was playing at. And not only were there like four or five, two of them made top eight. So uh, that, that, that was nice to have also. And then one of the other things I did was go down to just two blood moons. I again have played at the shop before. I didn't really expect a whole lot of Tron or amulet. Um, one amulet player showed up and no Tron. I didn't pair in any of them. And, you know, in my testing, I kind of thought that blood moon was, a lot weaker into these four color decks than I would like it to be. Um, and that the vortex is going to be kind of my plan to attack them alongside like children and stuff. So those are the couple changes I made. Um, have you been playing scam at all? I know you played it in the last super league. Yeah. I mean, I haven't played a ton of scam in the last few weeks, but I will say some things that you did with the list are exactly what I was picturing. Like you made a shift to you're playing three roiling vortexes in the sideboard, right? Yeah. Which is an extremely respectful way of treating the matchup versus the bean stack. You're saying, okay, well, not only are the Cascaders not going to be particularly good, well, your source of life gain is gone, and even Solitude won't gain life for your opponent when they attack, and so you're setting up yourself to be the aggressor in a way where uh, it, it's just a really tough card for them to deal with, and they have to spend something like a Leyline Binding on it. And um, the other thing that I liked was you had a Bone Crusher Giant in the deck. I think I talked about it last time where Bone Crusher Giant was a really nice inclusion for me. You sideboarded Bone Crusher Giant. Um, but yeah, I think Scam has kind of cemented itself as the best deck by like a uh, popular opinion. Even the Beans decks are 
probably a little bit worse. Maybe Scam is the only tier zero deck and the Beans decks and four color decks are like tier one. But uh, impressive result. And I'm happy that you got the invite. And now you have two bullets, like you said. And how are you feeling about getting ready for the most recent RC that's coming up? Let's talk about that a bit. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's one of the things we're going to talk about in this episode. I am super excited to start focusing on on prep for another sort of high level tournament. And, you know, although, you know, playing Pioneer isn't my favorite format, I am having more fun than I have in the past testing for for Atlanta here. The last like week or two, I've, I've started, you know, trying out some different archetypes and seeing how the format feels. And, and it's been a lot of fun. So before we dive in, we're, we're going to talk about Pioneer today. We're going to talk about uh, Lost Caverns of Ixalan, the new set that's coming out in a couple of weeks, and some spoilers and the new mechanics there and how those will all sort of impact the three constructed formats that we cover in Standard, Pioneer, and Modern. But before we do that, I want to give a quick shout out to everyone who takes the time to listen and support the show. We appreciate all the feedback so far. Want to give a big shout out to our newest patron, Mr. Amulet Pervert, who joined last week, and a thank you to all those who have kept up their support. Um, we have new merch over at both thebirdmtg.com/shop, and we'd love to see you wearing it. So if you get something, pick it up. Be sure to tag us on Twitter with the hashtag #BoltZoneChat, and you can also use that same hashtag to get in touch with Nathan and I. Any you know questions or comments about the show. And lastly, if you'd like to support this show directly, you can do so by leaving us a review on your favorite platform or by signing up for the Patreon. We're going to put the link to the Patreon in the show notes. So if you want to rep the brand, support the show, that's a great place to do that. We have uh, lots of sweet offers in the Patreon as well as discount codes for the shop. So if you're thinking about picking up merch anyway, the Patreon membership is going to pay for itself, especially in the, the top tier, our circle of loyalty. When you sign up, you're going to get a free shirt the day you sign up and then every three months you stay on you'll be able to get your choice of a free item from the shop so don't want to miss out on that Uh, and again thank you to everyone who supports the show so nathan let's talk about pioneer we've seen the meta sort of shifting quite a bit since we last talked about it and it's in a pretty interesting place right now so what are your sort of thoughts just overall the broad picture of the meta game and some of the decks we're seeing a lot of right now yeah so the big thing about Pioneer, as we've seen, is the resurgence of one of my favorite decks, Arclight Phoenix. Is it Phoenix has cemented itself as probably the default best deck right now, and and that's something I didn't expect to be saying anytime soon. Um, in no small part due to the addition of Picklock Prankster from Wilds of Eldraine. In addition to them playing Picklock Prankster, there's a lot of um, cascading effects of Phoenix being a top deck in the format that we have to talk about, which are like when you see Phoenix, most players have to adapt by playing less creature oriented strategies that are operating on the mid range side of things. And so, even though Rakdos mid range is still a popular deck in the format, they honestly have to go to some lengths in order to be good against Phoenix. They still have to respect it with hearses and go blanks. And I also feel that. Phoenix is naturally just going to push out like humans and gruel and other decks that are just based on basically three toughness creatures are like the magic number. When your creatures die to fiery impulse, your Phoenix opponents are going to have typically pretty strong matchups against you, or if you're not doing something unfair. And so Phoenix is a deck that requires all the other decks to build around this particular strategy when it's at its best. Um, and we see that where something like 
Boros Convoke, which is something that we expected to be a very good deck when it first came on the scene. It made a really resounding like weekend when the deck first released, and since then it's had middling results, but at this point in time it got a new card from the most recent set, Imidane's Recruiter, which gives some staying power to previously a slot occupied by just Reckless Bushwhacker, and the deck has shifted in a direction where it's playing Regal Bunnycorn as well, so both of these changes mean that it gets to operate more like a midrange deck that has broken draws than a white-red aggressive deck that tries to nut draw the opponent with something like Burning Tree Emissary in order to win. That is probably my pick for one of the, the best decks in Pioneer right now, I would say. Like, the new cards make a huge difference. And Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going to spend a decent amount of time looking at Convoke for this RC. You know, that makes me feel really good, because over the last two weeks I've played um, about 40 games with this deck and trying out some different versions of it. I The first like the first time I picked it up, I just 5-0'd the league, like, cruise through it and i was like wow like all right i get the hype now i see i see why people have been talking about this to me i think it's you know a lot of people like don't like to play the aggro decks they say they're not fun what you mentioned about like the new cards giving this a different angle and not just having to like go all in aggro and get those nut draws to to sort of close games out the mid-range plan paired with like those broken starts like you said it, it almost makes this feel like it's not the same type of decks we're used to seeing in the format where it's more one directional and you're you're focused on you know doing one thing very well. Have you seen the the versions of Convoke that are running Thalia's in the main now as sort of a counter to Phoenix? I have seen those versions and I I like the idea in theory. I don't know how good Thalia is overall and so it's the sort of thing that I'm keeping my eye on. I saw that it won a challenge recently, I believe. Did it win mm-hmm. the challenge? It won, right? I think it did, yeah. And what I would note is that Dahlia is particularly good against unfair decks, and it's good against Phoenix, but it also takes away from slots that you can use in some of the matchups that, like, for example, I don't know how many Thalias and Bunnycorns you can play. They compete in a very similar slot. and so They do. It's tight. That's where I see some tension. My instinct when I see the list is to say Bunnycorn is so good in just like your best draws and so synergistic with how the deck is set up that it might not be worth it to main deck Thalia and maybe you just have to settle for sideboarding it and having a very strong post-work plan against Phoenix. But have you played the Phoenix matchup much? How bad is it for the Convoke side? I mean, I assume they're not favored, but maybe it's not not that rough. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, so like... I think there's definitely one big tension point and that's thing in the ice. So like, I think if, if it's a version of Phoenix where they're on thing in the ice and they can kind of get that down on turn two and hold flipping it over your head, that can change the matchup quite a bit. You know, they pair that with like, you know, a piece of removal on your one drop and then thing in the ice and be able to flip that and just bounce your board. Obviously you have some draws where you can just like, they flip you puke your stuff back out the turn, the same turn and like swing in big the next turn and win through it anyway. Um, but there's also a lot of games where they have thing in the ice, they flip it, they bring back, bring back a Phoenix or two and are swinging for 10, 13 damage. And at that point, like you're not able to sort of stay on the front foot anymore. And on the convoke side, you don't really have a great way to deal with Phoenix. So 
like you can chump thing in the ice all day long, but Phoenix coming back alongside that flip and all your stuff getting bounced really sets you back. I think that the games where you do get Thalia down on two, that can make a big difference. So overall, I think the matchup can be close, but there's definitely games where both sides can just run away with it. I guess we see that a lot in Pioneer. I don't know. From my experience, it, it it seems unfavored for Convoke, but that might also just be like a lack of experience playing the matchup and, and just more practice time needed. So it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, I mean, I think it should be behind for Convoke just based on how the cards line up. But the best draws from the Convoke side probably make the matchup not look particularly close if they win the die roll. And at the same time, the Phoenix decks are just not, not going to run out of removal very often. And so if you get a draw where your opponent, you know, has multiple copies of arc like Phoenixes and axes for your big guys and can treasure cruise and keep casting removal, those are just like tough games. And yeah, absolutely. My question is like, what can you do on the convoke side in order to make this matchup in particular good? And maybe the answer is a combination of playing a split of Thalia and bunny corn. And then you also play something like, a lot of rest in peace in the sideboard and other cards that help you make their plan a lot more fair because in my experience you need to have multiple angles of attack against them and rest in peace is the most unique one that really disrupts them anyways we don't have to talk about this matchup forever i just find it to be like the most fascinating matchup for my current um, process of what decks i want to play at the rc and so the other deck i wanted to briefly mention was one of my favorite decks um, that I've had success with this year, Lotus Field. And I just wanted to say that, like, I really like Lotus Field, but the tension is, it is very good against Phoenix, and so that's what's made the deck better. But I think it's rough versus Convoke. I think it's very close against Mono Green, and I think that you should be pretty close, but ahead against Rakdos Midrange. So it's definitely something that I'm going to keep my eye on going into testing for Atlanta. Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a fair that's a fair that's a fair position for it. I think, you know, there's good and bad to consider with it. Let's talk about green for a second because we've seen green like really plummet as far as its meta share goes. Right now, looking at a snapshot, it's like it's under eight percent. It was as high as like seventeen, twenty percent, you know, a few months ago, if I recall correctly. What are your thoughts on green? From what I from what I understand, the Phoenix matchup is not great. The Convoke matchup is not great. What are your thoughts on green and sort of where its position is? And and do you think we're gonna see a resurgence maybe now that people are starting to maybe forget about it and take it for granted? Or is it gonna maybe be continued to help be held down? Well, like I was talking about with Phoenix initially, green warps the format even when you know, it's played in these sort of numbers. That's as a result of people building their decks in order to respect green pretty drastically. And so I think that it the cyclical nature of metagames will show that like, well, as people start respecting green less, they will end up sacrificing matchup percentage there that adds up really quickly. Because for example, when I played Phoenix for numerous events and I wanted to be getting against green, I would have five sideboard cards for green. And that's what I would need in order to make the matchup good. Right. I would be playing Disdainful Strokes and Aether Gus, some combination like that. And now that you know Phoenix players are cutting those cards and they're playing less Ledger Shredders potentially and they're playing more Picklock Pranksters, you are naturally going to get worse against Green. Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, Green is just a very, very fundamentally broken deck. Like what it's doing is 
pretty hard to exploit. You have to kill their cheap guys and have ways of beating their payoffs at the top end. But most of all, you usually just have to have ways of killing them before they do their thing because at a certain point in the game, the green deck usually wins. Right. Yeah, that inevitability aspect. Right. And so I I think the format has developed to a point where every deck has a pretty good plan against green, but we'll see as things move away from uh, green being the top two or three decks in the format, even if that trend continues. Um, one question you might know the answer to is, how is Convoke against green? Yeah, I, I think that the matchup is pretty good right now um in my experience you know i've played against it you know five six times so far in the last week or two and i've lost to it once i think on a turn where like they i had them dead on board they drew into their combo and and went off from there but i i think that what you mentioned about like decks still having to respect green from the convoke side like one of the big things is in the sideboard playing the card forge devil um so it's a, a red one drop, one, one, when it comes in, it deals a damage to you and a damage to a target creature. So just a way to kill their their elf on turn one. That's really important. The games where you have that and can kill an elf and slow them down for that extra turn go a lot better um, than games when they're able to just kind of do their thing. Because outside of that, you know, you don't really have a ton of ways to interact with like their big creatures. You're just hoping to, to go super wide or and, and race them. Bonicorn has been really good in this matchup, just, you know, as a, a huge body that can swing into their stuff and either, you know, trade very favorably or just push through damage early. Or, um, you know, if you can surround it with a decent board, then make it something that they are going to have to chump block with like an old growth troll or a Pelucranos or something like that and just keeping their devotion down in that way. Um that's been good. So in my opinion, this matchup is favored for Convoke. But um, like you said, Green just sometimes has really broken games and it, it can just win through anything. Yeah. Well, we'll see how the format shakes out. And otherwise, I'm excited to think about what the new deck building space is. Because even though not a ton got added to the new set, it was enough to be significant and make the format into something else from what we've seen for a pretty stale format for a while, honestly. Yeah, stale. for sure. It, it's it's nice that we finally got a shakeup because like you said, it was nothing changed for a long time. So one other note before we move on, the the two Rakdos variants, we we see these like kind of go back and forth a lot and in, in which one's more popular. Over the last several RCs um, that we've had so far this season, something interesting has been that Rakdos mid-range has once again become more popular than sacrifice whereas we saw that trend sort of flip in the events that were kind of leading up to this season what do you think the reason is for that do you think that's like the phoenix matchup the convoke matchup something else i am not entirely sure to be honest whatever i would say on the topic would sort of be just some theorizing but i'm not sure about the two reactors builds I have always thought that Rakdos Sacrifice was doing something a little more unique and powerful than the Rakdos Midrange deck, but I understand the appeal of Rakdos Midrange. I mean, it has a pretty mediocre spread against everyone, but it ends up winning a little bit more than you'd expect with the cards that you have. Yeah, for sure. I think that's just going to be something interesting to kind of keep an eye on again as we go through the next couple of weeks and get more data points with these RCs is like, you know, is that trying going to continue or those ones that we've seen just kind of outliers? They were like on the smaller side for RC. So 
definitely something that'll be interesting to watch. I think maybe one thing kind of pushing Rakdos midrange up a little bit is just its ability to sideboard like a little more flexibly against the meta. You get you get access to like some better tools to deal with some of the more problematic matchups compared to sacrifice, which is kind of like a little more hemmed into its strategy. Yeah. No, I totally agree. All right. So we are going to talk some more about Pioneer in the next episode. Again, we're there's three RCs coming up this week, and I know there's uh, at least another one the following. So we're going to have some more data to talk about and explore sort of where the meta continues to go. We're going to talk about that in the next episode. For the rest of today, we are going to spend some time on uh, Ixalan, the new set's mechanics, and some of the spoilers. But before we do that, uh, a couple of shout-outs for our sponsors. The show is brought to you by Boogie Board, the ultimate LCD life pad. Boogie Board's patented reusable writing surface lets you track life totals and jot down quick notes during casual or competitive play. Uh, you never have to worry about ruining a notebook in your bag or running out of paper during the game. Just after you're done taking down your opponent, press the button to clear and you're ready to start over. Boogie Board's best-selling jot tablet gives you plenty of writing surface. The jot pocket's perfect for tighter playing spaces. You can find Boogie Board at friendly local game stores across the country and at major retailers. And you can learn more about it at myboogieboard.com slash games. Never start a match without your Boogie Board. And we're also excited to be partnering with flexlot.gg. Um, this is a great tool to help you figure out some sideboard math for your next tournament, whether it's an RCQ or, or the RC. You can check out flexlot.gg. This is a new hub for competitive magic tools being developed by a friend of the show, George Jabor. It's a great way to create, edit, and save your sideboard guides. Um, there's also a new mana curve simulator. He just added uh, in beta a new drag and drop sideboard planner that makes visualizing your changes a lot easier than just looking at uh, a board of numbers. And there's lots more tools coming in the near future. So now's a great time to check it out. All right, Nathan. So, Ixalan. This is uh, our newest set. This is coming out on November 17th, so about two weeks from today. Pre-release is next weekend, um, and there's there's lots of stuff to talk about. So uh, I know you are wanting to talk about some of the mechanics in the set. Um, where do you want to start with that? There's This is a, a pretty complex mechanical set. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I wanted to get into immediately is the new Descend mechanic and talk about that. I, I mean... The best thing that I saw today about it was that the last set had Ascend as the set mechanic, and this one has Descend, and I didn't realize until I saw it on Twitter that... I didn't either. That's cool. That, uh, okay, Ascend was, if you have 10 permanents, you get the City's Blessing, which gives you special abilities based on whatever the card does, but Descend is an ability that cares about the amount of permanents in your graveyard, so essentially the opposite, and there are lots of cards that say, okay, look at the number of permanents in your graveyard. If you have the requisite number of permanents, you get an ability. And we'll we'll dive into exactly what the upgrades are for that. But thinking about external formats, or sorry, eternal formats, um, the biggest thing that we see is fetch lands, where if you have fetch lands, they immediately enable to send the turn you play whatever card as an ability. And so there's a lot of exciting cards in that space where if you crack a fetch land, you get a cool ability at the end of turn. And you can't do that in standard, but I'm looking forward to seeing the impact of particular cards built with that in mind in modern. Yeah, me too. I think that the fetches are just go so well with that mechanic. And um, we also have some some different sort of variations that play with the graveyard here, which is um, 
they're templated as like descend four descend eight and fathomless descent and so this is like different than the act of putting a card in your graveyard descending but these cards the cards with this mechanic are, are looking at the number of permanent cards in your graveyard and then once you meet whatever threshold they're asking for you get an extra effect or enhanced ability or whatever so that's pretty cool too it, it pairs nicely with the, the ones that are actively wanting you to descend on that turn yeah no i think that's cool the fathomless descent especially yeah yeah it's cool it's kind of bringing back the like D forgotten realms templating that they used i i, I do like that um all right so we also have uh, a new mechanic in craft this one is interesting so basically cards with craft are going to say like craft with and then there's a cost that goes with it so these are all kind of different so just like for example one that could say craft with artifact two in a red Um, you can exile this artifact pay two in a red and then exile another artifact you control or an artifact from your graveyard and then whatever cards you're crafting with will transform to its backside it's pretty interesting that you're able to use cards you control on the battlefield as well as cards in your graveyard for this effect so you can kind of squeeze some extra value out of stuff that's already left play or that you've milled there or gotten into the graveyard some other way yeah that's something that you might miss on first read because yeah craft doesn't really want you to use cards in play i mean if it did the ability wouldn't be that good the fact that it cares about things that you've already exchanged and you can use those as an additional resource is why the card is good and or why the ability is good and that also makes me want to bring up the point of finality counters because I thought that this was like an interesting sort of contrast with the idea of crafting where finality counters are basically just a counter you can get from different ways of bringing back cards or various other ways that you can put a card in play that say, okay, when this creature dies, instead exile it. And simple like templating change from having to point out those that verbiage every single time you talk about that. Uh, effect coming up but instead in this case it says okay we don't want you to craft with these cards and we're just going to remove them so i thought that was cool like a small little touch yeah that is cool and i and like you said i also like that um we see that that phrasing a lot like if this creature would die exile it instead so i'm wondering if they're just going to kind of keep finality counters evergreen i'm not sure i didn't see anything about that if that's the intention or not but it would fit a lot of we see that effect a lot so I like that. And um, the next one we could talk about is Discover, aka Cascade at Home, which just says, okay, when you cast this card, Discover X, say X is three, you will look at the top X, look at as many cards until you hit that card, like Cascade, or a card with less mana. And you can cast that card, or you can put it into your hand um, instead, which is a big difference. So yeah. I don't believe that it exiles the card as well. Oh, let's see. I'm looking at it right now. It says exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card with mana value X or less. Cast it without paying its mana cost or put it in your hand. And then the rest go to the bottom in a random order. Exile the card, but it never stays in exile. It either goes to your hand Correct. or back. Yep. And, and notably, these discover cards are not a cast trigger necessarily like cascade where it just always happens when you cast the card um some of them are like do it on your end step discover 
on your end step. Some of them are discover when you sacrifice this land. Some of them are discover on ETB. Some of them are discover when this creature dies. So there's actually quite a few ways to trigger this effect, you know, outside of just casting a spell, which can kind of give you either some flexibility or, or restriction on when you're able to, to do this. Yeah, I mean, to me, I don't know how you feel about the discover mechanic, but my initial thoughts are like, Cascade's not a very fun mechanic. Discover also doesn't seem like a very fun mechanic to me. I like that you get to draw the card instead, and I like that it doesn't work with cheating on mana, given that it doesn't work with something like Bramble Familiar and Standard or Tibalt slash Valky and other ways of exploiting that effect in other formats. But I still just feel like it's kind of a lazy mechanic. I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I think that, you know, when when we first saw like the first discover card, everyone immediately freaked out about like, oh, now everyone's just going to discover into the Tibalt Falky thing or, or whatever the case may be. Like you said, that's that's not how this works. Like discover is going to check both times. So when you're flipping off the top of your deck to make sure that the card you find has the, the correct mana value. And then again, when you go to cast the card and in both times, it needs to fit that number. So less ways to kind of abuse it. I think that, like you said, cascade kind of sucks and this is just like so similar to it that it also kind of sucks um but i i do think that like they kept these cards pretty tame for what they are and i could be very wrong but i haven't seen one so far that jumps out as oh yeah this is going to be broken or, or this is going to be slotted in somewhere you know they made Bloodbraid elf right i guess it doesn't have haste so it's not quite Bloodbraid elf but yeah that's like that i think that's probably the best of them which is, a, you know, you know, honestly, not that good for what they could have done with the design space. So exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I think they were they careful had, with it. Yeah, they could have had like, you know, three mana lightning bolt discover two. that would have been an insane card. Right, like, exactly. There, there's lots of ways this could have been broken and, and been really bad. But it's it seems like it will be fine. It'll be interesting to see how it kind of affects limited and, and those kind of games and and even standard. I think it could definitely have a place in standard just as a way to like get extra value out of stuff, not like cheat something broken in the play, but it'll definitely be interesting to kind of see where this mechanic goes and how it develops. And then we should also talk about explore the return. Of yes. Explore. I love explore as a mechanic, by the way, let me just say uh, for those not familiar with explore, explore says when you explore, you reveal a top card of your library. You can choose to put it in your graveyard or and if it's a land, you put it into your hand. If it's a spell, you put a counter on the creature. Sorry, I, I misspoke there. If it's a spell, you can choose to put it in the graveyard and you put a counter on your creature, or you can keep it on top. Yeah. So like a scribe, put it on your creature. And otherwise, if it's a land, you put it into your hand. But what I love so much about this mechanic is just, I like playing games of magic. I like hitting land drops. I think explore is mostly better when you hit lands versus spells. So like one thing that can be a problem is like, Sometimes the game is like de- determined by if you hit a land on that top card or not in some spots, like that's just a huge deal. But there's always a soft spot in my heart for Jaylight Ranger and Merfolk Branchwalker and a lot of the original cards that had Explore that we got to play with. So I'm a fan of the mechanic and I think it's a really good mechanic for standard. Yes, I agree. I'm happy to see it back and I think it'll, it'll add some, some new depth to the format. Um, and alongside explore something very similar we're also getting map tokens in the set which is a a new form of token it's an artifact you can pay one and sack it uh and then it's target creature you control explores so it it does 
explore. Um, you can only do this at sorcery speed, but we've seen these new like tokens that get created and do something for one mana, blood tokens, etc. be really powerful and standard in the past and, and even in the pioneer. So I'm interested to see how map tokens play out and, and whether they are able to have an effect like we've seen in the past. What are your thoughts on the map token? Also great. I mean, I understand why they're sorcery speed only, but I think it would be more fun if you could just do them as a combat <laughs> trick too. I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> That's like, come on, like let us have like tricky combats enabled by this token that you created for like mostly limited environments. Yeah. So or being able to I like kind of filter your draw and your upkeep with the the surveil yeah. part. Yeah. Oh, that would be cool. That would be right. really cool. Yeah. So, I, I also wish it was instant speed, but I think that was actually uh, a miss, I'm gonna say, but we'll see. My thought immediately is, well, come on, guys, like give us a give us a trick here. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And then lastly, here in Exxon, we have uh, the return of transforming DFCs. So these can transform um, in different ways. Lots of different conditions for them. Basically, um, you know, if you control X or more things, if there are X or more counters, if um, something happens on this turn, it transforms into the backside, and then you can get whatever effect is on there. Some of them can transform back as well. Thoughts on on the transforming cards? We haven't seen these for a minute. Transforming is cool. I I see a lot of like the transform into a land come up with like the new gods and other stuff when yeah. it dies. And I think that's more fun than returning the card to hand when it dies at the end of turn and just having to recast it. But we'll see. That's like my initial feeling on what could be more enjoyable than, than you know, just getting the card back. Like the Scarab God, if if you played with that card, was just a very toxic example of like, okay, this card doesn't work in standard because you just get the card back right away and recast it and your opponent has like for new players, it's not intuitive that you have to kill the card on your end step in order to prevent them from getting an advantage. So yeah. I think this is a little bit better in that regard, too. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that they have cleaned that up a little bit, and I'm interested to see how some of these cards play out. Okay, so that, that covers the new mechanics for the set. Again, lots lots of stuff going on. More mechanics than we've seen in the last couple of sets for sure. So I'm interested to see how those play out. The limited format, which we're not really going to get into today, but the limited format does seem like it's going to be pretty fun. There's a lot of cool uncommons and commons and seems to be support you know, across colors. So that'll be interesting. We might talk about that down the road when we have a chance. But you want to go ahead and, and get into some spoiler cards and start talking about this for Constructed? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. So the first thing, we'll just get this one out of the way. We got this one spoiled forever ago, but we haven't talked about it on here. Cavern of Souls, back into Standard and for the first time into Pioneer. Do you think we're going to see a big impact from this card? There's been a lot of debate about it. People are not super thrilled that it's coming into Pioneer, but but what are your thoughts on Cavern and, and whether or not it's going to see play? Well, I think it's going to be extremely unfun in Pioneer and very good. Um, for example, even in something like Convoke, maybe you just play some number of cavernous souls. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out like there's humans and other spots where it's just like not a particularly interesting card, but I am also just like not a big fan of cards that are just like lands you get to play for free, often add like our mana confluences, add any color, and also in this case you can't counter them. But in standard, you know, thinking bigger. Attracts is a legal card. Like, that's one of the best cards in standard. And now people are going to cast Attracts it with Cavernous Souls. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. 
for sure. It's going to be an interesting one. What's the upside? That's my question. Why, like why it's getting printed again in standard? Yeah, like what what are you what are they trying to do for the format that they think is a good thing? I'm like, you know, I mean this from a genuine place. I'm like trying to think through reasons that I would put cavernous souls in like standard or pioneer, and I just don't see them. Yeah, it's I mean like control already sucks and is not <laughs> it's not like super problematic or anything. I don't know if like they're just the primary thought was print this money card and. You know, but in a supplemental it's or, yeah, fine. exactly. But like, you know, at this point, who's making these decisions to put cards in? Are we are we really caring about formats versus just selling packs? Yeah, I mean, I I don't typically feel so strongly about them reprinting old cards and putting them in standard. I find them to be fun, but I think Cavern does not fit my description of a card that I'd want in any sort of standard environment. And I think. When it's bad, you just don't play it. And then when it's good, it's just obnoxiously good and like not fun. And the cost of playing it is very low. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm not a big fan of it. It doesn't have like a good middle ground, really. Yep, absolutely. It, one or the other. All right. Well, with that one out of the way, I think that's probably the most controversial one we're going to talk about. We, we have, we've got a list of them here. Why don't you go ahead and pick one, Nathan, and, and we can start from there. Okay. Let's start with Quintorius Kant, the new Planeswalker. Yes. So, the only I mean, planeswalker in the set now that they're down to one. Yeah, I was going to mention, you know, their their newly instated policy of only having one planeswalker per standard release. I think is really good. I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, but Quintarius Cond has a static ability. The cost of it is sorry three red white, so it's five mana, and its static ability is whenever you cast a spell from exile, it deals two damage to each opponent. You gain two life. Uh, it's plus as you make a 3-2 red and white spirit creature, a, a little bit of a throwback to previous Quintarius versions that we've seen. And then it's minus three is discover four. So you could think of it as like a five mana planeswalker that can discover four on like its base rate, which can be pretty good. And then it has an ultimate and the ultimate doesn't, doesn't seem that good on first glance, but it actually does some really cool things with the static. It says, exile any number of target cards from your graveyard, and you can add a red for each card exiled this way. You may play those cards this turn. So it just lets you cast maybe four or five spells and drain your opponents out because every single spell you exile, you add a mana, which really quickly can add like five to, to eight mana. I mean, it's a lot of mana to exile one card and make a mana for each one. Right. So, And, and the oh, static oh, works oh, with... The, the minus three discover four also because that that's getting cast from exile. I missed that. That's super cool. So so yeah, I mean, on the turn you play this, you can get the planeswalker minus three, get something four or less, cast it, drain them for two, and gain two life. That seems decent for five mana. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're even slightly ahead and you do that, it's very backbreaking. Yeah, we've seen some people talk about this maybe slotting into the Boros Pia deck in Pioneer that's like trying to play stuff from Exile, maybe as a top-end finisher. Thoughts on that? It seems a little expensive. Let's just say that it's not my Boros deck of choice as we've talked about thus far, and it seems a little slow. But yeah, I'm with you. Interesting. I think it's more of a card that we'll see play in Standard than Pioneer, though. Agree. And and we have Pia in Standard also, so yeah, the power level might just be a lot more fitting that 
maybe a deck. We uh, there's also uh, Ren's Resolve. There's the Questing Druid, the the adventure side of that. So there's quite a there's a lot of Exile cast stuff support. I think the new Ash from the last set and Black actually does too. Oh yeah, that's true. So there there could be something interesting there to explore in Standard. You're a step ahead of me. I hadn't put all the <laughs> all the uh, points together about what interactions work with this card, and there's a lot more than meets the eye. That's cool. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot that goes into it. All right, let's talk about one that we've seen uh, for for modern talk here, and we have to send our condolences to Dreadbore because we now have uh, strictly better Dreadbore in the form of Molten Collapse. And this card is uh, black and a red for a sorcery. You can choose one of the modes. There's two. If you descended this turn, you can do both instead. And again, descend is if a permanent card was put into your graveyard from anywhere. The two modes, destroy target creature or planeswalker, destroy target non-creature, non-land permanent with mana value one or less. So Scam maybe getting a little bit of an upgrade here, just what it needed. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how I feel about this card still. I mean, classic power creep, like classic, just like better version of a card that was already fine. But I think it's cool. I mean, we talked about this earlier. Having Descend be so good with fetch land means that you're basically just going to read this card as both modes and modern. And then yeah. something, it'll be both modes often when you're playing Rakdos Sacrifice and Pioneer. Mm-hmm. And... If you're playing Rakdos mid-range, it's just going to be Dreadbore with some more flexibility, mostly. Yeah. And there are, I mean, there are quite... Well, no, I guess it is permanent. So never mind. I was going to say, because you can, like, sack a blood token or something, but it, it is permanent, so not in mid-range. Yeah, it's permanent cards. Yeah. If it was just, like, hitting the graveyard, like a token or something, it would be... That'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, card's good. Not a whole lot to say about that. What else are you looking at from this set, Nathan? I really like the two and a black or sorry, one in a black removal spell that says you can pay three life or discard a card to cast it, and it destroys a creature or a planeswalker, and it's yeah. instant. So, new Doomblade variant. Um, first comparison to make is Infernal Grasp. Infernal Grasp, which we saw play for a while, pay two life and destroy a creature, which, you know, fine card, but this says pay one more life, you get the flexibility of killing planeswalkers, or if you just want to conserve life and have a two mana uh, removal spell, discard a card. And in particular, the strength of this card will be if you could take advantage of discarding a card, then it's an excellent card. Really, really strong. So I'm looking for shells where the discard is actually an upside, in which case maybe you can get something going, maybe some fiery temper, and uh, there's plenty of other ways to make discards an upside. But yeah, Madness I think this could slot really well into like Greasefang and Pioneer as a way to like ditch a vehicle out of your hand and, and have that effect to clear the way. That's true. And often in Grease Fang, you know, the cost of paying three life isn't that high. Right. Um, and if it is, then you can, you kind of want to do your thing faster. So discarding something is good. That's a good spot. Yeah. I have one other in mind that I wanted to bring up, but why, why don't we actually talk about Warden of the Inner Sky? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So this one's Singular White Pip, and it's a one-two human soldier. As long as it has three or more counters on it, it is flying in vigilance, and then you can tap three artifacts or creatures and put a counter on it, plus scry one, only sorcery speed. So, first thought here is, wow, Soldiers gets a new card, that's nice. They were actually looking for a new one drop more than anything else. So, this will matter in standard, first of all. My second thought is, can this see play and convoke? I don't know, maybe it's too slow. But, 
it's a cool one drop and it does something that we don't have access to right now. Um, plus the stats are like not bad. Like oftentimes you can make it into a two, three plus scry one, like the turn you play it mm-hmm. and getting flying pretty quickly is nice. Plus it kind of combos with venerated Luxodon because putting counters on it with that way also means you're closer to giving it flying. So yeah. I think that's and it cool. combos with both of your one drops too already. Cause like they're coming down and making an artifact when they come in. So that's giving true. you an extra thing to tap. True. Oh my gosh, dude. True. That's like a super sick combo. You play Voldaren Epicure and then you play this guy and you're in business already. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're one counter the second they come down. So that well, makes it interesting. There's a nut draw now. You can go Thraven Inspector slash Voldaren Epicure, Thraven Inspector, Warden, and then you can tap two artifacts plus uh, the Warden and do that every turn. That's yep. awesome. Yep. I, I do wonder like in the convoke deck what's getting cut for this though is i think the big question like maybe ornithopters yeah i don't know what the what the possible cards you can cut are without playing more games with the deck but it makes sense to me that this might be below the bar because the the existing cards are already too strong so worth testing out the very for sure worth testing yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens with it but you're, you're the soldiers guy in standard. So how do you think that this slots into, I mean, we have a couple different variations on soldiers with like the more tempo-y version, the more all in aggro version. How do you think this one fits into that archetype in standard? So I think soldiers is a deck that doesn't want to be super aggressive. Mostly it was built initially to leverage things like Valiant veteran and to be more of like a beats deck leveraging counters to kill the opponent. Now how it's built is it's actually more similar to like, a knight errant of Eos deck that wants to grind out your opponents and has some haymakers, and then a lot of the cheap creatures are like setups and enable you to grind your opponents out with like Zephyr Sentinels and eventually win with Harbin. I foresee that there's going to be slots available in the one drop area with like less Lunark veterans and Yoshian frontliners as cards that were sort of filler, but contributed in significant ways to the game plan. And so I would guess that this takes those slots and helps you have better one drop quality. Yeah, that checks out. Like you said, the deck was really looking for another one drop, and this seems to fit the bill pretty well. Right now we have four good one drops. Like Recruitment Officer is the only one that you're happy with. Right. <laughs> yeah. Do you think this this could maybe also get into Pioneer into like the, the Mono White Humans deck? The Mono White Humans deck really wants to attack. It doesn't really want to take its turns to tap three creatures. So no. I would guess it's it's not worth it. That's my thoughts too. All right, let's move on to another white one mana card. This is an effect that we are now seeing at one mana. There was some talk about this being pretty interesting. The card is Helping Hand, so it costs one white at sorcery speed. You can return target creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Any interest in this card anywhere? To be honest, nothing really comes to mind except for making Monastery Mentor very good if you find a way to exploit that card. Like, that's the best three drop you can return, but... We haven't seen a lot of shells that can support it. I mean, some might not know, but that's a standard legal card. It sure is. <laughs> so it is like the white unearth, which I think is interesting design space we haven't had before for one mana. We had Return Triumphant last time, though, for two. Yeah. This is just like a cheaper version of that. Yeah, yeah. We've seen actually, you know, quite a few recently of the like two mana, this effect. So having it be dropped down to one is interesting. I'm kind of wondering what the thought was like behind knocking that extra mana off and getting the same effect in the standard. Yeah. If it wasn't working at two mana, maybe they can make one mana work. Right. Yeah. It seems like they really want to make this work. <laughs> okay, cool. So next spyglass siren, this is, this is a blue one blue for 
a creature that's a 1-1 siren pirate with flying. And the reason I'm bringing this one up is because when it enters the battlefield, you create a map token. We've seen, again, recently cards that enter the battlefield and make an extra piece of cardboard be like outperforming what they should be. This is the first one with this effect for one mana that has flying. Any thoughts on this? This will be one of the best commons in the set for limited, I would guess. 100%, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, this card's like often a one mana 2-2 two, two, or a one mana 1-1 one, one draw land, which is with flying, which is great. I also can see it being played constructed. I mean, the rate is really good. It produces, it's like blue Thraven Inspector often. Yeah, yep. Flying is also just like a very good ability, like on these sort of cards. We haven't seen something like with this much, you know, I, I think that the the push for this card to be like a real standard playable or pioneer playables is there. And Absolutely. If it's not there yet, it's very close. It wouldn't take much to make this card have like a really good supporting cast. Like imagine this card was like a spirit. You would probably play it if it was a spirit immediately. Oh yeah. Oh, that would go in a hundred percent. Yeah. This is definitely one I think that, that deserves to keep an eye on because it it's very pushed. Like you said, uh, any other any other spoiler cards from the new set you're looking at? You know, there's a lot of spoiler cards. I think maybe we should talk about like one last one that caught my eye. I wanted to talk about the uh, the new what's it called? I know the effect. The oh, okay, that that's what it is. the The two mana two one that sacrifices to put counters on it. It's a, it's a white black two one that says sacrifice an artifact creature, put a counter on it. And it's a pretty innocuous design. I mean, we've seen like a lot of sack outlets before, but not a lot of them let you do them at any point as much as you want. And not a lot of them have been two mana, if any. And also this card lets you sacrifice as artifacts. So Mm -hmm. sacrificing artifacts is like a really high upside, whereas previously we didn't have access to. So I wonder if this card will make any sort of mark in standard or, or modern or pioneer Modern probably difficult, maybe Pioneer somewhere, but I thought it was interesting nonetheless. Yeah, it's it's another one of those ones that just kind of gives you the gut feeling like we need to watch this. Anytime there's like a totally free sack outlet that you can do whatever, you know, however many times that's always like leaves the door open for, for some crazy things to happen. And I think I'm, if, I'm pretty sure this is the only free sack outlet we have and like repeatable sack outlet in standard right now. When I first saw this card, I had to like do a double take to see that it didn't say only once per turn because like they've been just throwing that on everything that could be decent for like sacrifice stuff recently so it's interesting to see that they they remove that limitation here yeah they made it a legend which you know i don't really like that i think it would be more fun if it wasn't a legend so you can justify playing four and building decks around it but now it's a little harder sure yeah in the past, we've seen with like in Pioneer Rakdos sack, we've seen it splash into white to kind of get some more card velocity with like showdown of the scalds and stuff. Do you think this is maybe something that could push it back in that three color direction or is it just not quite needed in the deck? I think we're more likely to see it stick to two colors for the time being, but maybe in the future, like there would have to be, I think, another reason to branch out to another color. It's a pretty high cost. Yeah, that's fair, especially in Pioneer. The, it's hard to do that. All right. Last one that I wanted to call out before we 
are done for today is get lost. And this is one in a white at instant speed. This is destroy target creature enchantment or planeswalker. And then its controller creates two map tokens. So this is um, sort of similar-ish to card like Fateful Absence, which we saw recently that gave your opponent a clue token when you just destroyed a creature. Um, but notably, this hits also enchantments and planeswalkers and then gives them map tokens. So I think like depending on what the matchup is, those map tokens could either mean a lot or they could mean nothing. Thoughts on on Get Lost? The name's great too. <laughs> I love the design space here. I will have to see how much I think an Explorer token is worth of a card. But the problem is, at least when you're playing against aggressive decks and you play uh, Faithful Absence, they have to spend their time to stop being aggressive and to draw a card, whereas this card actually helps the aggressive decks where the token either is a counter or draws a land. And so my immediate thought is this isn't going to work in control decks particularly well, but in other shells, it could be an upgrade. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm almost thinking of something like Convoke. We've seen Convoke playing stuff like Destroy Evil with like being able to kill a Shouldred and also a way to deal with temporary lockdown if that's, you know, or ley line binding or whatever the case may be. So I'm wondering if that could maybe slot in there or other it's it's kind of funny because, you know, at first glance, you're like, oh, yeah, this is control card. But actually, maybe it's going into the more aggressive or mid-range decks that are trying to battle against other hate pieces. Good point. I think that's a good shout out for a shell where it can actually take advantage of the explore tokens being a big cost to activate from the other side. Yeah, for like, you know, a lot of times you're putting enough pressure on that they're just not going to have time to activate them. All right. Well, that's a, I think that's a good recap of spoilers. There's um, a ton in this ton in this set they really i think they did a nice job overall with it i like the design space i, I like the theme of it um i'm interested to see how some of these cards you know impact constructed formats and which ones maybe take us by surprise or or ones we aren't expecting to see right now but before we get out for the day nathan any closing thoughts on uh Ixalan, any of these cards or or thoughts on pioneer like we talked about earlier i would say that the new rc coming up definitely has a pretty sweet metagame around it. I'm excited to get ready for the tournament. I will be in Atlanta. And so feel free to come drag me and just come check in and feel free to ask questions to Cody or I, if you want any updates on our thoughts on pioneer, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks as well. But I'm always happy to chat with anyone regarding the format or really just give you a heads up on my thoughts on the metagame overall. So Loved looking at these spoilers. I think the new set is super sweet, and I also think it's powerful. There's a lot of room here for cards to break out, and I'm looking forward to seeing which ones actually will be integrated into, especially Pioneer and Modern. But I'm sure, no doubt, Standard will have a lot of shakeups. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the next RCQ season coming up after December will be Standard. So it'll be interesting to see people brewing and sort of putting some attention back on the format. We haven't really seen it in the spotlight since, I think, since like the last Pro Tour that was Standard. But yeah, I also am really looking forward to Atlanta and uh, seeing you down there again, seeing those who listen to the show. Like Nathan said, come up and talk to us. We'd be happy to hear from you and and, uh, would love to meet you. So 
We're looking forward to that. In the next couple of weeks, we'll be continuing to keep an eye on the Pioneer metagame and how things shift around the RCs. And we'll have an update for that in the next episode. But until next time, that's going to do it for today. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Bold Zone. If you enjoy the show, please give us a follow, leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We read all of them and love to hear from you. You can get in touch with Nathan and I on Twitter in the meantime using the hashtag BoltZoneChat. And if you want to help support the show, you can consider subscribing to our Patreon or picking up some merch at boltthebirdmtg.com shop. And until next time, get out there and sling some spells. Mm-hmm.